Particularly in the Gospel of John, there is something about Jesus. Those who know who he is can't stop talking about him, and those who don't are either curious or defensive, drawn toward or away, depending on whether they perceive him as a leader or as a threat. Someone who elicits that sort of immediate, perhaps visceral response is bound to cause a bit of a ruckus. We encounter very few, if any, people in the Gospels who encounter Jesus and say, meh. In just these 16 verses, Jesus of Nazareth is given seven different names or titles. Lamb of God, Rabbi, Messiah, the one about whom Moses and the prophets wrote, Son of God, King of Israel, Son of Man. We know this is important because John takes the time to translate the Hebrew or Aramaic words for rabbi and messiah into Greek, ensuring that their meaning, not just the words themselves, would be understood. The gospel writer is driving this question home. Who is Jesus and why is he here? At the same time, however, John is introducing a new question. Who is following this Jesus, and why? Only one of those names or titles is spoken by Jesus himself, Son of Man, which is how he refers to himself throughout the Gospels. The rest are offered by the rest of this revolving cast of characters. John, Andrew, the other unnamed disciple, then Philip and Nathaniel. None of these people encounter Jesus in the same way. Some decide on their own to go and follow him. Others are called away from their normal lives to follow. And a couple need to be convinced. Andrew, the seeker, is already seeking God in a different way alongside John the Baptist. And he leaves to follow Jesus, whom he believes to be the Messiah, the long-awaited shepherd (coughs) king who would restore Israel. Simon, the rock, seems willing to take Andrew's word for it and comes to follow too. Philip, whom I would love to call the accidental disciple, even if I'm not sure that's true, is just going about his business when Jesus finds him and calls him to follow. And then he goes to try to convince his friend Nathaniel to come along too. Nathaniel is the skeptic who needs some prodding, some cajoling to come and meet Jesus. But once he does, he is all in. So where do you find yourself in this story? Are you John the Baptist, trying desperately and loudly to point others to Jesus? Are you Andrew, curious enough to follow and bold enough to tell someone else? Are you Simon, willing to trust someone else's understanding of Jesus until you come into your own? Are you Philip, who is surprised by Jesus, but willing to follow anyway? Or are you Nathaniel, who needs some convincing, but might be willing to trust once you've seen? On the other hand, maybe you're feeling a little bit more like that unnamed disciple who follows Jesus, but doesn't seem to say a word about it to anyone else. It's 
easy to skim through this chunk of the Gospels. It seems like we're just accumulating disciples and establishing early on that folks thought Jesus was the Messiah. There are much more exciting things happening in the next few chapters. But every biblical story, every line has a purpose. Not only does this passage give us a glimpse of what and who these new disciples believe Jesus to be, but we start to get an idea of why they follow Jesus and what they do with what they know. These disciples living in first century Roman-occupied Israel were desperately waiting for a savior, a king, someone anointed by God to rescue them. So it makes sense then that Simon Peter would respond immediately to someone saying, we found the Messiah. Everyone wanted to be part of that new kingdom, or at least they thought they did. But what about us? We no longer live in a world watching and waiting on a savior. We no longer think we need one. If any of you walk into work tomorrow and tell your coworkers that you've seen the Messiah, they're more likely to talk to you about psychiatric counseling than follow you to meet him. I'm a pastor and I still couldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. First of all, because it wouldn't work. Because that's not the question that folks are asking. Questions of sin and rescue and redemption are, at least here in the U.S., taking a back seat to questions like, how do I find meaning in a chaotic world? How do I make meaning out of my life? And sometimes, how do I seek justice from where I am? How do I do right for my family, my friends, my neighbors, and myself? And that's okay. Because the good news is those questions, the ones we are asking, they're in here too. Jesus is not silent on questions of meaning and hope and justice and right relationships with family, friends, and neighbors. Though every gospel story has a point and a purpose, there's rarely a perfect one-to-one correlation for our own lives. What Jesus asks of us is not to recreate first century Israelite culture, but to be faithful disciples here with these people and these questions. He even tells Nathaniel, you will see much greater things than these. But to be disciples in the 21st century United States takes significantly more work, more discernment, more study, more prayer, more curiosity, more willingness to learn and question and fail well. I think that's mostly what the original disciples did, honestly. They failed well in the presence of Jesus. They also did it together. Jesus called them as individuals, but they were more than that. They walked, ate, taught, listened, learned, hoped, and despaired together. And in the same way, we need one another. Because most people, Christians included, do hear or read or even remember these gospel stories and think, that's nice. I'm going to go about the rest of my life now. 
what we hear from the Gospels is no longer news. And if it is, it's usually not received as good news. But this doesn't mean we stop preaching it. This doesn't mean we stop asking good questions. In fact, it means exactly the opposite. We have to be willing to step further up and further in, to partner with the Holy Spirit in new and creative ways to tell the story of Jesus in a way that makes sense to the world we live in. Let me give you an example. When I was in college, I spent two summers working at a campground in Connecticut, like a drive your RV in and park sort of campground. I was there with a ministry organization called Summershine Resort Ministry, and we were half maintenance staff, part-time activity staff, and very part-time evangelists. Because Summershine was based in the Carolinas, most of their employees came from the South, which, fun fact, is how I picked up my y'all. Yeah. Y'all try explaining to your mother why you've come back from Connecticut with a Southern accent. But living with four roommates, all from the South, we'll do that. This will be important in a minute. So on the 4th of July weekend, one of those summers, one of our activities was a skydiving team who was going to land in the middle of the park in a big green space. We had a roped off area for everyone to watch the landing. And there were probably 50 to 60 people, including some wide-eyed kids, gathered to see. The plane started to circle overhead, and we were communicating with their ground team and then relaying what was happening to the crowd with a megaphone. There was a slight delay while they were double-checking landing zones and winds and parachutes, so folks were starting to get antsy. Meanwhile, one of my coworkers is walking around with a megaphone telling everyone exactly what we know. Finally, we get word from the ground team that they're ready to jump. So look towards the sky. My coworker then picks up the megaphone and says, all right, y'all, they're fixing to jump. And absolute panic ripples through the crowd. What are they fixing? What's gone wrong? Oh my goodness, are they okay? A single word that made perfect sense to my coworkers caused a panic for the crowd who heard that sentence entirely differently than it was intended. We managed to get them calmed down enough that we could reword our statement to say, they're getting ready to jump. And five minutes later, we had two skydivers on the ground and all was well. But every time there is a miscommunication or a false assumption or a bad translation, I come back to that moment. Because even if we have the best of intentions and the best of news, if we're not careful with our language and paying attention to how we're using it, then our message may be received in a way that we did not intend. Jesus is absolutely still calling Follow me. The Holy Spirit guiding us in the way is always doing a new thing. And we, the disciples of the crucified and risen Christ, are the ones with the megaphone, witnessing and relaying what we see and hear so that all may come and see what great and wondrous things 
Jesus is up to. Amen.